Okay, let's do this one last time, yeah? Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Spider. Call me Spider-Man! I want that ball-crawling arachnid prosecuted! I'm Spider-Man. I want him strung up by his web! Your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. I want Spider-Man! Hello, true believers! Welcome to the Spider-Man Book Club! This podcast is all about digging into the library of everyone's favorite wall-crawling menace and his spectacular corner of the Marvel Universe. I'm your host, J.J. Hodges, and today I'm joined by John Gorga. How are you today, man? Doing pretty good. Super excited to be here. Um, I am very excited as well. You've got your Spider-Man shirt, so you're ready to go. I do. Uh, (laughs) And... uh, yeah, so you uh, recommended a story that I had never read, so I was quite excited to dig into it. And didn't very really... few people have, I think. I, right. You know, there was something familiar about it, but I think it's just because the story is familiar-ish. You know what I mean? Uh, like yeah. it feels like a classic Spider-Man story, so um, it it hooked me pretty quickly. So uh, I'm excited to get into that with you. Um, but uh, before we get into the story, let's uh, let's talk about you here for a minute. Uh, when were you bitten by the uh, radioactive spider? <laughs> uh, pretty early, pretty early, like um, second grade, somewhere like second to fourth grade. Um, I was right there at the. Um, there was just this this moment when the uh, the ninety four show was premiering. You know, the animated Spider-Man, the animated series. Yep. And I think it was just a really awesome, wild coincidence that, um, like, some guy brought old comics to school. Um, like a, like um, one of my fellow students, like his uncle had stopped collecting comics or something. And it just dumped 30 years of collecting on his nephew. Right. Uh-huh. And so he started bringing these old comics to school. And um, the Spider-Man ones really grabbed me. And... I think there was a there was a comic book store like around the corner from my house, um, really really close. And I uh, when I discovered comics through that weird happenstance of the the classmate, I went around the corner and, and the TV show came on. Like mm. I swear it was like you know as little kids I have a weird sense of time, right? But sure. it felt like it was like two weeks late. It felt like it was that week. It felt like everything happened at once. Um, and I'd been a really, really big fan of Batman previously, but then it became all about Spider-Man for like 25 years. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, I I love stories like that. And it's it's interesting where, you know, uh, we were talking before we, uh, we were recording a little bit about Sandman and Neil Gaiman kind of has a similar story. Uh, and I saw an interview with him where he he said somebody dropped off a bunch of comics on his like front door when he was a little boy. And oh wow. That's how oh, he got into comics. Maybe so. I heard that. So it's uh, I, I love stories like that. It's so it's so like random and weird and there's such a like the universe working to make us all nerds so that we don't have yes. money to buy drugs. So you know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. hundred <laughs> uh, percent. So um do you outside of uh Peter himself, do you have a favorite Spider Man character? Um, I think 
outside of Peter, man, you know, there's so many, right? But mm-hmm. I do have a soft spot for the spot. Oh, okay. Uh, partially because we share a name. Because my full name is Jonathan. Yeah. Which is, believe it or not, not the same name as John. A lot of people think of them as like uh, John with an H and Jonathan are from like 2,000 years apart in the Bible. <laughs> and uh, and uh, funny enough, JJ, my and my childhood bully's name was JJ. <laughs> um, and it was a John. It was a John Jr. or something, I think he was. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really had this thing about being Jonathan and not John, which is especially funny because as an adult, I've totally given up on that. But the spot's <laughs> real name is Jonathan, Jonathan Odd. Uh Um, and I think his power is awesome, right? Being able to just create those little portals and go anywhere. Um, and the way the artists have played with it. So it'd be like just his hand going through one of the portals. Um, it's a bummer that he always, you know, ends up in like a team in in a team like the Legion of Losers. But, um, (laughs) I, I love his powers. I love his name. Yeah. The spot. I'm going to go with that. And he's going to be, I guess the main villain in the next, uh, animated Spider-Verse movie. Um, which I oh, thought was, I think I saw that, which, uh, apparently going to be voiced by Jason Schwartzman, um, who, cool. in, in my opinion, his best role to date is from, uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. so if yeah. he plays it, anything Gideon like that, Graves. uh, I believe so. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I think so. I, um, the big bad, he, he always, uh, this is like really off topic with Jason Schwartzman, but <laughs> he just reminds me, uh, of, uh, of one of my really good friends who actually uh, rent my house from um, he uh, just, just like his mannerisms, mannerisms and everything. My best friend and I watched the movie and we're like, that's Mike. That's, that's, that's Mike does that same stupid crap all the time. <laughs> just, just the way he like moves his head. Like nobody can see this but you, but just going like, like, I don't know. It's just, it's very interesting. Funny. Interesting. So that's what I think of every time I hear his name, despite the fact he has a, a lot of credits and he's a very talented actor. Uh, sure. But uh so, uh, so last, uh, last question before we jump into the story here, um, throughout all Spider-Man media, I'm talking movies, video games, comic books, TV, do you have a favorite costume that, that ah, comes to mind? I knew this was going to be the hard one. I've, <laughs> I've done my research, so I know you have these three questions and I don't, I don't know that I have a favorite. I love the classic, you know, like yeah. everybody does, but, um, oh, I don't know. I, I definitely, you know, I was a kid when Ben Riley took over for a while, you know, mm-hmm. in like 96 or whatever that was. Maybe I could run with the, um, the Ben Riley suit from when he took, when he took over the main titles. Okay. I really got a kick out of the wild. It's so over the top and so stupid, but the way the spider symbol went over the whole chest, instead of just being a little emblem, like yeah. it became that wraparound thing. Yep, yep. I could definitely do without the uh, web shooters on the outside. I always thought that was yeah. pretty dumb. Uh, <laughs> although I warmed up to it a bit as an adult, but I, I, I guess I'm running with that suit. That's got to be. I'm, I'm, I can't be the first one who's uh, said that one, can I? No, no. There's, there's been a couple. I'm, I'm a little surprised. Um, everybody's answer tends to surprise me because almost everybody says the, the classic. Um, and every, every once in a while, I'll, I'll get an answer that you know, is, is left field, but, uh, it's funny you mentioned the wrists, the, you know, the web shooters on the outside. Cause it just, it's such a nineties thing, right? I'm thinking of like Azrael in his version of the Batman yeah, suit. Just, yeah. Yeah. 
pouches upon pouches upon pouches, <laughs> yeah. you know, and even cables look in the front when he was, I think he was created in the nineties. Um, oh yeah. He's very much got that pouches upon pouches upon pouches look that nobody's really messed with in 30 years. So. Yeah. Yeah. He's I mean, the only one for whom, for whom it, 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 it like works. I think it just barely works for cable and yeah. oh man. Yeah. I'm glad it went away for the most part. Bom- bomber jackets, pouches, extra <laughs> straps everywhere. Nineties oh, yeah. just, the outfits just were way too complicated for no reason yeah so they I, felt like oh i guess we got to add some lines to spider-man suit so let's put the web shooters on the outside that i felt that way during the new 52 with all the jim lee redesigns mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. all of those costumes were just so busy and yeah. and don't get me wrong a lot of them look great uh but like especially i thought batman looked really cool and it makes sense for batman to have a little bit more of like a you know pieced together kind of armory feel right, right? But uh, not but, the Flash. Right. It just was like, eh, let's, you know, we can erase some of these lines. and The aerodynamic, running fast, super speedster has all this weird extra layers or, or lines. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, the right. artists, um, Manipal largely got around it by kind of, Manipal, he's amazing, right? Francis Manipal, he's, he's oh, amazing. He, he yep. really cleverly got around it by, um, basically erasing the lines but but having them appear as like lightning bolts during more dramatic moments whenever he like really had to hit super speed yes. very clever so they really pretty much are gone yeah uh, but, you know it's but it, like <laughs> the 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 comment there is the solution to all those things is just make them go away they worked right. in jim lee style and all these other artists had to try to fit these designs that were perfect for jim lee style into their style Right. I'm not the first person to say that. That that's no. what went wrong, basically. They designed things around Jim Lee's style and oof, not everybody works like that. Uh yeah, exactly. And and Jim Lee is sort of notorious for you know, he can do like I've seen him I've seen him do it where he will do like a ninety second Batman drawing. Yeah. But I've also seen Francis Manipool, I think at the Comic Con we met at uh he uh like he just got it was like three or four lines. I bought his uh, his portfolio book. And he was like, "Well, hang on, let me cool. let me sign it for you." And he just said, "Cool." And it was the the Flash's profile, you know, or at least his head. <sighs> and I was like, "That's." And awesome. all I could think was like, "Okay, that was like four lines you did. How the f did you do that, man?" Wow, <laughs> like, yeah, I God, I couldn't like do the, that on um, my best day. <laughs> like the Japanese Zen masters, right? They said that right. they would train for like a hundred years so that they could make a turtle in three strokes. Right, right. <laughs> and um, these guys can do it. Oh, they're they're geniuses um and that's you know they, they've perfected their craft obviously uh, sure. much like my craft is saying um and you know as many times as i can throughout <laughs> every single podcast episode uh please do not make a drinking game out of it friends you will not survive That'd be bad, That'd be bad. <laughs> um so we Man, are talking... that's just podcast well that's true that's true yeah. <laughs> um so we are talking uh, Web Spinners, uh, Tales of Spider-Man, uh, specifically the story is called The Bridge, yeah, uh, yeah. numbers seven through nine, uh, written by Joe Kelly, penciled by Bart Sears and Andy Smith, inked by Mark Pennington, uh, colored by Joe Rosas and Matt Hicks, let, uh, and uh, also colored by Mark Granado. Mark Bernard. Yeah, that's what I see too. Okay. And lettered by Benchmark Productions. 
I don't know if that's a person or a group or whatever, but yeah, it could be way, one of those one man studios. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but they uh, yeah, did a great job. Um, and this is interesting. It's a pretty straightforward story where it's basically just Peter's senior of high school. He's, you know, prom is coming up and he's sort of being pressured to go, but he doesn't want to because he wants to, because he's still all about yeah, being yeah. Spider-Man. And, and about uh, successfully getting a um, scholarship to Empire yep. State University. Yep. And it's and I think that what's what's really great about this story is that it's it it really drives home the idea that anybody anybody can shirk their responsibilities, but there's always consequences to that. But when yep. it's Peter yep. Parker shirking his responsibilities, it the the consequences are on a scale. Multiply. Yeah. You and I can't imagine, you know, right, and right. it's, it's funny because I was thinking about this story, you know, so uh, Mr. Dell, his, you know, his, his teachers, it's all about, you know, it's prom, right, it's one exactly. night a year. It's such an important night. And really I, I was thinking about it a lot and I was like, I, I remember prom, but I, I think at 35 years old, I don't think I would look back and go, man, I missed out on prom. You know, because I, I didn't. I went to prom, but I don't feel that I would have missed it at my age now. You know what I mean? I don't know. You know, I didn't. No, I didn't go to my prom, although I have to think about it. Because, it, yeah. Well, there you go. Because we're, <laughs> we're old. Um, yeah, I don't I don't really miss it in any big way. But um, I don't know. Sometimes I do think. Oh, I guess I missed that thing. But I went to like one semi-formal dance mm -hmm. in my high school career. And it was not like a lot of fun. <laughs> it was yeah. too constrained and too weird and awkward. Um, yeah, but that's exactly what they're playing with in the story, right? The right. weird awkwardness of this, like, like the high school years. And um, yeah, I don't think... Uh, I mean, especially, man, Peter Parker's life, that's a hell of a lot of excitement. Would you really have uh, yeah. regretted missing the high school prom? I don't know. I, You know, I think it, it's such a, you know, it's such a strange situation, like, where would Peter miss out on it? Probably not, because he'd be doing something heroic and save somebody's life. And, uh, and those are the kind of stories that I really enjoy with peter is when he thinks he's missing out on something and he's and he's not really and that's that's kind of where the story ends too isn't it you know where yeah yeah he does miss out on prom and he's sort because of happy about parker so of right. course he does right yeah, and in a way he misses out on it times three right because of the right. fantastic conceit in the story mm -hmm. of the uh the triple booked date right which is oh, which good. is which is such a it, I, that that storyline made me laugh because it's it's such like a sitcom thing, you know. I half expected it to be like a plot from like Boy Meets World or something, you know, <laughs> like uh, sure. something. Well, I mean, like you know, Corey would have gone with Topanga, of course, where he did go with Topanga, um, but <laughs> like maybe like like Sean would have had three dates or something. I don't know. Um, For sure, but but uh, but, but you know, Sean, the, most characters, it would happen intentionally right it would be like oh he's such a philanderer that he he booked three dates and peter parker is so not that it happens by accident right yeah yeah oh, classic so he disappoints everybody including yeah. himself and aunt may 
Yep. But completely doesn't. He has. He gets both ends of it, right? He gets right. the. Uh, everybody kind of looks at him. His, his aunt is kind of disappointed in him, like he's a philanderer because he did kind of ask three women to the prom, right? But he doesn't get any of that, like, um, um, power fantasy fulfillment stuff about oh, he's such a womanizer. He's going with three men. Everything goes wrong for Peter Parker on both ends. It's fantastic. Well, it's 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 such a it's such a great. And, and kind of a callback to how Stanley did his stories anyway, where Big time. It, it's it's Peter Parker's life is kind of blowing up just as his Spider-Man life is blowing up too. And, yes. you know, yes. and he has the the deal with, it's so funny because I, I feel like the, the covers to this book are so misleading, <laughs> you know, and yeah, yeah. It, it makes it look like Sandman is intentionally attacking the prom and everything, which doesn't really happen. But, yeah. um, but you know, and, gotta... it, and it does kind of look as if it's some kind of huge story, right? It make, right. The, the, but that's of course covers. We're trying to sell it, and it's such a uh, small, it's such, it, it's such a focused small story, just about about the prom weekend, pretty much, right? It only takes right. place over like two weeks tops. Uh, uh, it seems like that, yeah. And and what I really enjoy was getting to feel like, you know, we we get to be in in Peter's shoes. And and one of my favorite images is when he's just on the on the side of the the Brooklyn bi- Bridge, yes, Washington Bridge, whatever it is. And I know, think it's the Brooklyn Bridge where he's sunbathing. Yeah, and he's yeah. So, so he's you know no shirt, Spider Man bottoms on, listening to music, just going, "This is the life," you know. And and it's funny because I thought the funny thing about this is that that's what I would do if I was Spider Man, <laughs> you sure. know go to a secluded area, use my powers and just do something mundane with them, but it would be awesome. Whereas yeah. like somewhere Peter, no one else could go. Cause he can just, he, cause who, who else can sunbathe on the side of a giant building? And right. I love the way um, Bart Sears successfully made you just think he was laying on bricks, right. In yep. the first panel of that. And then it zooms out and you realize that he's on the Brooklyn bridge and he's on the side of the Brooklyn bridge sunbathing. It, oh, I love this book. It it looks it, it looks fantastic, and it also just I I like the idea. I, I like those stories where Peter has to get humbled. He has to get yeah. his he has to get his butt kicked a little bit, and not in a literal sense, but in in a very you know emotional or metaphoric sense because he's just so you know like you know what I don't I I you know. I say no to my responsibilities, like that Spider-Man two bit, right? And he's like, I, I you know, yeah, I, yeah. I move away from all this. I don't care, and it blows up in his face because he can't do that. You know, he has, you know, he has his responsibilities, and I love that Aunt May is is really the one who hammers that home. She says, yes. "You asked out these women, you got to figure out how to how to stop it because that's what Uncle Ben would want you to do." Yeah. And and that's sort of the trigger, even, for Peter. Even though it was like misunderstanding for the most part. Well, right? I I do blame. Uh, I may bl- really holds them to it. She, to, she, to, to to not hurting any of their feelings. Right. And I will say I do blame Aunt May for the whole Mary Jane thing. Oh, completely. I, she she misunderstood that and she got him in trouble there. But so. But he she, doesn't. He doesn't. I mean. Oh no! See, I can't recall exactly, but he doesn't. He doesn't correct her or something, right, or he right. doesn't let her know that he's asked Liz, right? Right, right. So because he hasn't told Aunt May that he has asked someone to the prom, 
she does the classic Aunt Anna thing. God, I love how Joe Kelly successfully fit it right in. I mean, it, it literally takes place like, um, I think it takes place between Amazing Spider-Man 27 and 28. Okay. Because Peter Parker graduates in Amazing Spider-Man 28. Okay. So this yep. is prom. Yep. And the, the stories Stan Lee told were pretty spread out and worked in real time. So there was a month passing between the stories, which is why they can fit uh, which why Kurt Busiek could fit all the fantastic work he did on um, Untold Tales of Spider-Man mm-hmm. in between those issues. And plenty of writers have slipped things in between. And then uh, Web Spinners, this whole series, um, this is just issues seven, eight, nine. But Web Spinners, Tales of Spider-Man is basically, you know, a spiritual continuation of Untold Tales. Untold okay. Tales specifically takes place in between issues, like almost in real time in a way, not in real time, but the issues came out of, of the issues of Untold Tales of Spider-Man came out sequentially as they were taking place in the old 60s stuff. They just slip in between kind of every other issue. It was almost basically like Untold Tales of Spider-Man number one takes place between issues two and three of Amazing. And then mm-hmm. and then issue two of Untold but takes place between three and four, something like that. And then basically when that series ended, almost immediately they announced this, I think. I remember as a kid when this came out, I mean, a kid, I was 14 or something, but I remember being like, oh, this is the same idea. They're giving me more of that Jones of um, slipping in between the old stories and fleshing out the continuity, except after the third story or so, I realized, oh, these aren't going in order this time and they can be anywhere. So like uh, one storyline, I think it's the last storyline in Web Spinners uh, takes place in the middle of some 80s stories. It takes place like in between Amazing Spider-Man 287 and 288 or something. Anyway. I uh, loved, loved a lot of this series. So was, there were more um, more misses than hits, maybe, overall, in the, in the 18 issues of Web Spinners, but I love stuff that goes and plays with the continuity. I I definitely agree, because the one of my favorites is Spider-Man Blue, you know, that we that you yeah. know, we covered on, on the show already. And, and I love that it's the filling in the gap kind of story where it, you can, you know, put it wherever you need to, and it, and it really works in the sense of... Uh, you're like, oh, okay, like we're getting getting more context for a lot of these stories that we wouldn't have gotten. Um, yeah. You know, because, you know, Stan Lee, you know, most of the issues he was doing back in the day were, you know, for all the comics he was writing, were pretty much one and done. Yep, um, yep, yep. And, exactly. Very rare that they got to do something kind of epic or fleshed out or, uh, or just not longer, <laughs> is your point, that they, he, he was pretty constrained to telling a story in 22 pages. And And I think... I think back then he just, I don't think it, it occurred to him to tell <laughs> bigger stories, probably because he was writing like eight comic books at once or yeah, something yeah, like for that. Sure, for sure. Um, or scripting after all, right? Because the artists were doing a they, lot of the writing. That's right. And that's, that's a whole other podcast where they yeah, were. Yeah, we could, for sure. <laughs> they they were scrounging for royalties and everything. And Stanley was not. Big time. Helping them out too much. Um yeah, not really. It right. is, it's, it's a long, complicated thing. But it's, it, it, as we talk about slipping in between the old stories, at least we should keep them. Especially, if I recall, since this story takes place just before he graduates, mm-hmm. and Peter Parker graduated in number 28, uh, this was the period of time where Stan was doing the least work on the book. Because Stan admitted later that he and Ditko weren't speaking. Yeah, for the last like sixteen issues that Ditko mm-hmm. worked on for me. So if Stanley and Steve Ditko weren't speaking, 
but the book was still coming out <laughs> and Ditko was drawing it, yeah. Dan couldn't have been coming up with the plots, right? Right. So anyway. That and again, a whole other <laughs> conversation we could for have. For sure, for sure. Um one of the you know, but uh the thing I like about this is that there's uh you know, there there aren't world ending stakes necessarily, yeah. but there but the personal stakes in it are very high. Yeah. Because Peter realizes he made this gigantic mistake when it comes to the Sandman. You know, he yeah. made this. It mistake. feels like Sandman isn't going to make it. Like they gen. I think yeah. Joe Kelly really successfully makes you think Peter has made another mistake that that's going to end the life. Although you know, you know that Sandman is going to survive because of continuity. Like we know, hell, that it, although he does a very clever job too. Because in the '90s, if you recall, Sandman had reformed and yeah. become like a mercenary working with someone whose morals aren't, you know, entirely um, black and white, but uh, Silver Sable, right? right. So right. he's actually, you, it's almost like it retroactively slipping in the seeds of him beginning to do mercenary work, of him beginning to think about growing and changing in some way. Yeah. Uh, just like at the same moment with graduation, they're all thinking about how their lives are going to change. And uh, and he then take kind of, it's almost like Pete's taking that moment of graduation and using it wrong you know what i mean it's almost like yeah. he's saying well i gotta grow and change and this is the moment maybe i should stop being so obsessed with responsibility and as you put it completely goes horribly wrong um yeah, yeah i love that the stakes as you put it are real like they're very real it's about growing up and yeah. um the stakes for flash are kind oh, of yeah. real because you even though you don't they, if I, they don't really super directly make it clear but man it's just you know he's going to get an even bigger beating from his dad, from his drunk dad when he goes home, if he doesn't succeed in getting Liz Allen back, right? Like the stakes for all of them are so real in an emotional human way from Sandman to Betty Brandt in this. It's, yeah. it's, oh, I think it's very well done. I think yeah. it really slips in between the old stories in an excellent way. Mm -hmm. Perfectly slips into that, into that era. Stan Lee, Steve Ditko stuff while also, dropping seeds on the stuff that the other writers had already done to make it connect like aunt may is kind of her ridiculous stanley steve ditko doddering oh peter you're gonna catch your death of cold but yeah, then she yeah. has that moment of strength where she's like no you are gonna lay in this bed you made this mistake you weren't clear you have three dates to the same prom and i'm gonna hold you to it which is way more like a later writing um of, of of aunt may right right it's i i it's I, um it really balances everything and it's it's interesting like you were saying about the stakes feeling real it you know for these characters at this moment in their life those stakes are life or death right yeah. even if it's yeah. something as simple yeah. as flash challenging peter to the bridge walk right and and peter says a few times you know why could easily beat him but then when he catches you know flash like you know yeah. complaining about his dad and everything then peter's like yeah when he witnesses it finally yeah it, and I think, the writers had added that but i don't i'm not sure that they ever i'm not sure that peter knew in the before this story was written because obviously it's in continuity but i think now because but before this was written i'm not sure peter knew that flash was was a victim although again perfectly putting it right at the end of his high school time fits right. really well because Stan Lee, when Ditko left, 
and Lee went back to writing solo and uh, Ramita came on, Flash became a friend slowly over the college yep. years. Flash ended up that. becoming somebody that, that Peter respected at least a bit, mainly because Flash went off to Vietnam. But it, it, it perfect because, because by putting it right at the graduation time, it doesn't spoil any of the drama of the two years of Stan Lee, Steve Ditko, well, two years, yeah, two years real time of um, Flash being a bully. Because you, so you learn, well, you could read other stuff that there's a, there's a flashback story that shows them even younger when like they're like 10 or something. And you learn that, that Flash is getting beaten like daily by his drunk dad, but Peter doesn't know. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Mistakes again. That's the important thing, right? For the character. Yeah. Well, you know, like you, like you had said before, even like with Betty, you know, that she's a little bit older than Peter, but she's. She's like, I never got to go to prom, and I now I have a chance to. Yeah. And and Jay Jonah is is like, you go, you do that, you're you're out of here, you're done. Yeah. And she's like, then I'm done. I don't care. I'm gonna go to prom. And then it it takes her a minute to kind of realize that it's she doesn't need that. She she needs the job. She has to take care of her her nephew. I think is yeah or, yeah. Um, and and that kind of stuff I. It's kind of heartbreaking, actually, a bit, right? The um, it is, but it's like it, a death of innocence, a bit for her, a little, a little, like a delayed. She wanted to have that, right? Um, that moment in the picnic where she's like, "I never got to go to prom," and yeah. Pete doesn't exactly say, "Then I'll take you to prom," right? He mm-hmm. says, "Oh yeah, you know, prom was a terrible idea," and then she's like, "Well, we're dating. Wait a minute, and you have a prom. I can go to prom," and he never really says, "Let me take you to prom." She invites herself and he doesn't say no because it's it's such a uh, that picnic scene is so heartbreaking where she's like, I can finally have a prom. And yeah. then the scene where she's looking through the yearbook with the nephew. Mm-hmm. I feel like this book, this book might have be the best for specifically for Betty Brandt, don't you think? Because she is usually either a cardboard cutout or the writer kind of makes her fucking the re, the um the writers kind of make her like an annoying ex-girlfriend or a crazy woman or just a grieving um widow after they killed ned leeds in the 80s this might be like the most fleshed out human betty brandt we ever get i i i totally agree and i i feel that way about um a lot of the characters and it's only only you know i said only twice there for some reason uh (laughs) but uh it's it's only recently that I've really begun to really like Flash as a character, uh, partially because I've, you know, doing this show, I've talked to other people that uh, a friend of mine, Carlos, is a huge Flash Thompson fan. And I was I listened just, to that one. I, 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 I loved how much he was talking about it. And even in another episode that has not aired yet, uh, we were uh-huh. talking about it. And um, and I just was like, oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's a great character. You know, blah, blah, blah. Thinking, okay. And uh, having that. You know, and that's sort of the the interesting thing about great fictional characters is they don't all need to have this, but having some sort of tragedy in their story does yeah. make them more compelling. Flash, yeah. you know, with his abusive father, Liz in an abusive relationship with Flash, mm. uh, Betty with you know not graduating high school and being kind of stuck at the bugle, and Peter with you know his laundry list Everything. of tragedy. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and this is even before we get to meet, you know, Gwen Stacy or Harry Osborne, and they have right. their own baggage, you know. Yeah, big time. Um, and and even Ooh, the Sandman. Harry sure does, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, but what I what I love about the the Sandman in this is that he's almost 
he's very tertiary to it. Like the the Spider Manness mm-hmm. of it is kind of secondary to the Peter stuff, which is as you know, I've been doing this show and rereading a like reading and rereading a bunch of Spider Man books. I'm realizing that most of my favorite stuff, I'm sitting there yeah. realizing that, oh, Peter Parker is a great character. Yeah. Spider Man's cool, but Peter Parker is awesome. I think so too. Yeah. I think so too. And that's and it's it's why uh you get uh, people revolting when uh you know Ben Riley takes over or right. Dr. Octopus swaps uh brains with Peter <laughs> Parker, right? Yeah. Um and uh I think it it is for some people part of the frustration with Miles, but uh, of course, you know, that's definitely probably ninety seven percent racism and three <laughs> percent missing uh Peter Parker. Right, yeah. Um and I think it was smart of Marvel to find a way to integrate them into the same quote unquote universe or whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's, I mean, that we could go on and on about that sort of, you know, I, I've seen all these things about like the, the Lord of the Rings show and the Little Mermaid movie that's coming out and people up um, arms. Race swapping that. in general. Yeah. yeah. And I, it is fascinating, but that, yeah, that's a whole podcast too. And most of that to me is, you know, on that tangent for a moment is just, absolute nonsense you know it's like i you know if if the worst thing that happens to you today is that the little mermaid is black <laughs> i'd say your life is pretty good you know yeah, yeah. so right. it's uh, inaccurate it's inaccurate oh, okay you know so that's just, a real person a real live person got a yeah. job got to do this not to mention the millions of um young black girls that are going to be like oh i could have that job someday that is so much more important than like accuracy to the hans christian anderson story from 100 years ago or and 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 we're talking the difference between accuracy and perfect accuracy too you know what i mean i mean it's just does the story actually is it wrong in any way if if you were to read the Hans Christian Andersen story back in 1898 or whatever and imagine that she has darker that she has melanin in her skin, right? It's yeah. yeah, it's it's frustrating because you you know us especially as uh, as big time geeks, right? We yeah. do have this idea of like a fealty to to accuracy. I I have in my soul this uh, an ex girlfriend felt I was um too much of a purist, like the Watchmen movie. I didn't I couldn't couldn't i didn't hate it but it was really frustrating that it wasn't right you know and okay. uh, uh what was the other example there was oh the, the star trek reboot came out at the same time the rebooted film the jj right, right, and right. i was like oh they took all the philosophy out of it and then that girlfriend <laughs> that ex-girlfriend was like i'm not going to see movies with you anymore i'm not <laughs> taking you to the sherlock holmes this, this robert downey jr sherlock holmes movie that looks like so much fun you're not coming with me to that because you're just going to say it's not sherlock holmes um <laughs> You know, I have a real academic streak in me and I have a real kind of purist streak in me. But God, you know, it is way more awesome at the end of the day to have this kind of expansion of having, say, like, sadly, the Leslie Grace Batgirl movie that we're never going to see. Right. Right. But to have Leslie Grace, a young black woman as Barbara Gordon and the movie we did get that was fantastic. The Batman having. um, um, Oh, my God, I can't remember the actor's name now. I always get his name wrong. Oh, I was thinking about um, oh, Christian oh, Gordon. Oh, uh, Jeffrey, Wright, Jeffrey, Wright, Jeffrey Wright. Jeffrey Wright. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Yep. Jeffrey Wright. Um, having uh, having these characters just be just be different. And they're, you know, these characters are so, um, especially the DC Comics characters. Yep. My God, they are so 
like iconic mm -hmm. that really just hiring someone of a different race or writing the characters with a with um a race swap or writing the characters have a new version show up uh we've already had four flashes or whatever right if they yep. cast like um a young filipino man as the flash for a tv show or for a movie next year why 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 would that be upsetting we've already had jay garrick barry allen um, um you know bart allen impulse he was flash for one year or something you know we right, can't right. at any rate yeah i completely agree it's so much more wonderful to see a variety of these things and the people that are complaining uh they, there's gotta be there's gotta be a kernel of racism in there because even me who's super like a purist academic i'm like <laughs> yeah whatever let's yeah. let's have more stuff let's expand let's play i i'm more for the uh Nowadays, like, you know, I remember when the first uh, Iron Man movie came out and that that suit was right out of the comic books. Yeah, and yeah. that they literally me, hired a comic book artist to do the design work. Right. So. right. It was right. Uh, yeah. Adi, Adi, Adi 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 Granoff. Granoff. Yep. Yeah, and yeah. I, I was blown away by that. I was like, and it, it kind of started with the first Spider-Man movie, you know, I mean, Green Goblin, whatever. But Spider-Man, like the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man looked like Spider-Man. It's just like yeah. that's. Uh, but see, the purist in me, I never liked the raised webbing, the silver raised webbing. I'm, oh, really? I'm telling you, I'm, I'm such a stickler. I'm such a stickler. <laughs> and yet, at the end of the day, you got to relax. You got to relax and enjoy the stuff. Um, well, getting, getting, uh, getting back to the story, um, it's, yes. you know, it, it's so interesting that, you know, and it, this doesn't really happen as much as it did, I think, when we were kids. I think when we were kids, comics were sort of written off as like children's entertainment or whatever. But For sure. But this is, but these stories, especially this one, you know, is so, you know, like we're talking about, like the, there's the emotional reality that's so true to life. You mm -hmm. know, the, mm -hmm. the idea that, you know, Peter, if you don't go to prom, you're going to regret it for the rest of your life, you know? And I remember hearing stuff like that when I was a kid. And at the time I was just like, well, of course I'm going to prom. I've got a girlfriend and, you know, we're going to go to dinner and get a limo and all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. Did all the, the whole nine yards. The whole nine yards. I had the same, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, it's, you know, but then it's interesting seeing it through Peter's eyes where Peter's like, there are literally more important things, you know, like, and, yeah. and I, I like that for as mature as Peter can be and he takes back his responsibility and he's the bigger man because of it. I do love the, He's still 17, 18 years old, whatever. And, right. you know, he right. thinks that Blake is going to get the the ESU scholarship because Mr. Adele's like, oh, you know, you're a shoe in for this. And Peter's like, well, then screw it. I'm done. I don't even care anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 again, that feels real. And I loved having it's a that. a very normal human reaction. They, yeah. Right. And, and I love getting that moment where at, towards the end of the story where Mr. Dell's like, look, I, I'm telling him that because some kids just kind of need their egos, you know, propped up a little bit. He's like, you, I, I push you because I know you're good and I yeah. know you'll do better. And, and, you know, I, I never had a, I wasn't like a science wizard or anything. So I never had, I didn't have a teacher like that, but I, my acting teacher, when I was a kid, when I was in high school, I keep saying when I was a kid, like, you know, <laughs> when I was like yeah, 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 yeah. 17 or 18. Well, you know, one day, you know, we're, we're both climbing toward 40 and then yeah. uh, we're going to talk about our years in our twenties and be like, Oh, I was just a kid. 
I I already do that at at uh, at work. <laughs> I say something like, oh, "I got this kid on the phone," and she's like twenty two years old. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, legal adults, right? <laughs> yeah, married right. legal adults with kids, perhaps, right? Yeah. But yeah, it's I'm a like, it's I'm a like, spectrum. These twenty four year olds, I'm like, why are you married? You're too young to be married. I literally <laughs> thought that as I've seen some of these people, um, but uh, but you know, but having that uh, you know that moment where the teacher says, you know, I, I push you because I know you're great. I, I had a teacher like that. That was like, I push you because I know you can handle it. And that kind of stuff, you know, I was, it, it sort of all at once made me feel nostalgic and sort of heart. Well, I guess there's a bittersweet feeling to it. Like, man, I, I miss having a teacher like that, you know, mm. because they make all the difference. And you know, when yeah. we talk about teachers being underpaid and, and that's a whole topical thing that, you know, we don't really have time to get into, but, but I, but I think about stuff like that a lot. I'm like, why wouldn't we want our teachers to be treated better and to be uh, paid more and paid what they're worth? Because, yeah. you know, gosh darn, if they don't, you know, truly impact kids' lives, you know, and right. Yeah. And that's something that, you know, cause there's teachers that I have no memory of. Like somebody said something, oh, you know who I saw the other day? I saw Mr. So-and-so uh, at the at the grocery store. I said, hi. And I was like, I have no memory of this person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. Um, whereas like, it wasn't that long ago that I thought, I'll never forget all my high school experiences. And now I'm like, somebody's like, oh, hey, I, I, I'm friends with so-and-so on Facebook. And I was like, I have no memory of this person. Like, I, I'm sure I had classes with them. I maybe even had yeah. many conversations with them. Zero yeah. recollection. And How no, college too? I've begun to realize there's college um, yep. acquaintances that are slipping. It's just time, yep. and yet if I follow where you're going, the other side of the coin is these moments that are burned into your brain, right? Right yep. from your entire life, all the way back to three years old. But then, and then it's people. It's often the the teachers that were there at the right time with the right words, and it's right. burned. You know, my um my housemate is an art teacher, actually. Oh. Okay. Um, at uh, the elementary, no, elementary and middle school. Uh, she has a sign up here in the, in, in the apartment we share that says, um, uh, people might not remember what you say or even what you do for them, but they always remember how you make them feel. Yeah, yeah. Which is true. Yeah. And I never thought about it. And it's really, I, I assume it was the discovery. I assume when she, she bought it, she was thinking to herself, oh, I know this is true as a teacher. At least that's what it, you know, that's sure. what it said to me. Sure. Um, yeah. And this Mr. Dell, who I think is created for the story. I don't think Mr. I, Dell is in the previous stuff. I, I they probably wanted to avoid, um, in the original stories, I think his science teacher was Professor Warren, who then turned out to be the brother of Professor Miles Warren, his um, college teacher, who turns into the jackal, and maybe Joe Kelly just wanted to avoid that whole thing and sure. say there were two science teachers. Why not? Yeah, um, he's a pretty great character for only being in these three issues and only having four scenes or something, right? Yeah, yeah. It's 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 stuff like that that you know the the I mean he had a bigger impact on the show, but like you know I mentioned Boy Meets World earlier earlier, but like oh, the Mister wow. yeah, yeah. Feeny of it, right? You know, for like, sure. Th there's those. <laughs> the Mr. Feeney of it. That's great. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a character that, you know, even if you can't necessarily relate to that, you, you still feel it because 
there's somebody who can relate to it and can love that about it. And, yeah, yeah. you know, the, the Betty Brandt story, the idea of her being stuck at a job she doesn't like, but she has to do it because she realizes that her childhood's over and she has to kind of, you know, accept that. And Let's go right back to that cigar, cigar smoke filled office. Yeah. And, and I like, and, and I did like that, that Jameson did have a, a, a bit part in it. And and that was his part. It was just to be kind of the jerk boss. Yeah. Where yeah. it's true to the character, but I also think, but I also like stories where he's fleshed out a little bit more. But I think that it, is it. See now, I might be swapping memories, but I think it's in this in this piece where um, I think of it all as kind of just one timeline. So sometimes things move around. Like a lot of things in this story have informed the way I think about like a lot of other spider-man stories because like i said i think it's the most human version of betty yeah. um if i recall isn't there at least a small moment where jonah realizes he can't replace her it doesn't doesn't he go through like three secretaries in three days I, in this is that in this or is that a different story where betty yeah. is just the only one that can deal with his bs i think that that must be a different one because i don't remember okay. that one I, I just read it over the weekend uh but i don't remember that being a uh a bit um then it must be somewhere else but so i connected that in my mind like betty he needs betty jonah needs betty that's that's in my mind part of why she goes back yeah also yeah. because jonah jonah jo the bugle needs to happen people yeah. like joe robertson and and um ben urek are doing good work at the bugle the bugle needs to survive for the bugle to survive jonah needs a secretary and nobody else can handle his absolute horrible personality like yeah. betty brand <laughs> it and that's and that's tough you know to 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 sit there and read because again there there is a reality to that that there are sure there are bosses that just are awful and I've had quite a few in my life yeah where I'm just like yeah. I can't deal with this person and yeah and it's and but you have that person but I think we all know that person that can deal with it for whatever reason they can they they can mental gymnastic their way through it and go sure. well you're not such a bad guy if you if you factor in this that or whatever it's like oh okay then i guess sure um that's usually me that's usually <laughs> me so oh, i really <laughs> that hit home with betty this time reading as an adult now oh, having yeah. had lots of jobs i am that person who who's always like seeing the uh the silver linings and trying to see the best in people and ends up dealing with bosses that can be pretty nuts yeah that's that's interesting. Well, that also I think makes you a little bit like Peter too, because I think Peter's like that. Where yeah, you know, yeah, to a degree, right? Peter, because uh, this is, you know, this is still when Peter's just kind of freelancing and doesn't see Jonah, but once every so often to throw some pictures at him and get, you know, a couple of couple of bucks from him. Um, and I think, you know, and, and and that's another part of the story that I liked was that this is. That the timeline is it's it's pretty clear obviously what time this takes place but it also does leave some room at least in in my imagination for what else is going on around peter in this time in his world right uh but then again that's also because i've absorbed so much spider media <laughs> in yeah, my lifetime yeah, yeah. from the movies to the cartoons to uh no totally to the comic books of course and it's funny to me how little I've read of Peter in high school, actually. Uh, mm. A lot of the stuff I've read, he's either in college or already an adult. Um, or Ultimate Spider-Man, where he just, you know, was 16. He's for, in high school forever. Yeah, he was 16. Although, did Ultimate move in them? Um, I heard you on one of, one of your previous episodes, 
and I because I haven't read a lot of Ultimate. Ultimate is like my big Spider-Man blind spot. It's it, probably my biggest. Like definitely, I'm missing. I haven't read and seen everything, right? But, but Ultimate is my almost certainly my biggest blind spot because um I know very little of it, and I was really shocked, but kind of delighted to hear you point out that it takes place very tight in in time wise it yep. the whole even though the book lasted for uh what eight years but for Preet parker specifically obviously with um with miles now ultimate as a as a legacy has been almost 20 years or over 20 years my god in heaven um uh, we're so old jj that. yeah yeah because because it was 2001 so i think it's been 21 years of ultimate spider-man now yikes but even before miles 10 years right yeah 10 years but yeah. you said it takes place in eight months or something it, 16 it's, months it's a it's a pretty short amount of time because i think bendis was able to play with time a little bit where he could just say like like a sick like a you know six issues over the course of six months for us is only like a week for him right yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. so i think he played with time in that way and uh, it's also again some, again some mental gymnastics that I think you know I had to play to kind of go. I think he's still sixteen years old, even though I feel like he should be, you know, forty by now. <laughs> sure. But that that was just, uh, but that was his, you know, choice in as as a creative doing it. Uh, but I I will recommend Ultimate Spider Man all day and night to anyone who will listen because that's that was that was my Spider Man for a very long time. Yeah, you're far from the only one you're far from the only one right. i uh a friend uh, lent me the first two um ultimate collections of ultimate spider-man so that's got to be the first 40 issues or something um i, so. I read the first five you know that the, the the that was collected under the under um the label um power and responsibility the, oh, yeah. the, the origin basically yep. the, the you know the adaptation of amazing fantasy 15 i read that around when it came out but um i, I was so snooty with um but I always tell this story when people when we talk about ultimate and about it being my blind spot, and because I, I, I rejected it. It wasn't it wasn't <laughs> the real Spider Man. I, I, again, I yeah. was such an obnoxious little academic, um, precocious little jerk. Um, but but I always say, and I because I think this helps people understand it a bit. If you were, I was a real diehard, so I was reading almost everything Spider Man. Yeah. I really was pretty much. And just the year before Ultimate Spider Man came out, there was that miniseries called spider-man chapter one where john oh. byrne i think wrote no not wrote the whole thing but john byrne wrote and drew the first issue and then no i think he did write and draw the whole thing it was that the main spider-man books he was co-writing and drawing with howard matt with howard mackey um, um writing um and they were trying to integrate it was an attempt to uh, retell the origins right with yeah. with um and integrate it in with the current stuff by having the same writer do both right, but right. um but it was a disaster. It was terrible. <laughs> uh, and I, I feel awful saying that, you know, I'm sure they, everybody worked hard on that book, I'm sure. And it had bright moments, but 14 year old John gave up on Spider-Man chapter one. I had this point where I was like, I can't do this. This isn't, this doesn't, this isn't working. It doesn't make any sense. I'm sure they're going to erase this and just go back to regular Spider-Man. So, so when ultimate Spider-Man came out the next year, I was like, well, fool me once. <laughs> and I just said, I'm not buying this. You did this last year. And it was called Spider-Man chapter one. And I didn't like it. So I never picked up Ultimate Spider-Man number one. That, you know what, that is totally fair. I was in a similar boat. <laughs> I, 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 I totally get what you're saying. I'm vindicated. I, I, was, I was in a similar boat 
when Superior Spider-Man started. Because oh. I was like, I was a little bit like, like you don't kill Peter Parker. That's not no, okay. Yeah, yeah. Folding my arms, just you know, <laughs> not okay. And then I eventually, sure, sure. But I gave in and I bought number seven hundred where he dies, and I read right, that, right. and I was like, okay, that was okay. And I was like, eh, well done, right? It's, yeah, it's Dan Slott, he's you know, he's he's a great storyteller, and exactly, exactly. That, and then you know, I I didn't get Spear Spider-Man for a long time, and then my my sister was just like bugging me about it, going. You would love it. You've got to pick it up. You've got to pick it up. I promise you, you're going to love cool, it. Cool. And I was like, okay, fine. For you, I'll pick it up. <laughs> and then it, next to Ultimate Spider-Man, became one of my favorite Spider-Man books. Um, wow. Just wow. If for no other reason than, uh, and I've said this before, you know, the uh, the unpredictability of it. You know, I didn't, same uh, with Ultimate yeah. Spider-Man. I didn't know what was going to happen. And there was no, it's sort of like the rule book kind of got thrown out a little bit. And and sure. that's fun. Whereas like with this story, like you know, we know Sandman's going to survive. We know that, you know, true. Uh, true. You know, Flash by is, slipping it into the past, right? We know Flash is right. going to continue to be a bully, but grow slightly. We know Sandman's going to survive. Right. We know Aunt May's going to go back to yeah, yeah. It's going to go back to a status quo because and, it slips in between. Very true. And Peter gets the scholarship and all that, blah blah blah. So we know all of that, but the story still. But Joe Kelly is a talented enough writer that. I'm still on the edge of my seat reading this and going, oh man, like, like this is really compelling because yeah. that, you know, sort of like, uh, I guess the best comparison I could make would be like Better Call Saul is there's, yeah, 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 yeah. there's enough in there that feels new and fresh that's keeping my attention. And kind of like uh, I was saying before, there's, it, it, it feels like a classic Peter Parker Spider-Man story. You know, it feels like something Stanley would have come up with back in the day. Um, and, and this is a, one, another thing that I love about some of these comics is that this is three issues, but I felt like I was watching almost like a whole movie was playing in front of me. Sure, sure. You know, and that's that's the best compliment I can give to some of these books is even mm -hmm. though it's three issues, I felt like I read six or seven, you know, uh, and, and not in a bad way, you know, not not like in a, oh, my God, it's, is this going to be over right, yet? You know, right, right. I was I very in, in jam packed with stuff. Right, and and that hell, even the first two. I love the first two pages mm -hmm. of of this story. Right, the uh, because it it's giving you just tiny tiny snippets of the morning routine. Right for right. four characters. Yeah, for four characters: Betty, yeah. Sandman, Peter, Flash, and Flash. Yeah, right? Flash. Yeah. Flash is doing push-ups. His dad comes in, and I think he kicks him. And, yeah, and then he hits him. Yeah, and he starts all over again, and and stuff like that. You know, it made me think of uh, uh, Billy from Stranger Things. Um, I was like, oh, so that that character was a little bit like him. Uh, I don't know if the writers did that intentionally, but it's also sort of a trope, isn't it? That the bully, the the bully is only a bully because he's bullied at home. Um, yeah, 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 but there's also psychological truth to that too. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was about to say. I believe yeah. it. Yeah, I think it's backed up by by science. <laughs> yeah, by real science, not like gobbledygook. I made this yeah, yeah. this you know this polymer in my high school science class. Right, and I'm gonna throw it at Sandman, and it's gonna throw it at the, him. <laughs> yeah, hell, the most comic book. Actually, the Sandman, uh, the the Spider-Man villain, Sandman might be the most ridiculous example of comic book science. Yeah. Don't, right. I mean, he 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 fell into um. No, no. In the in the movie, he fell into a particle accelerator. It, right. In the original comics, he's just on a beach, 
when a nuclear explosion goes off. <laughs> and the radiation <laughs> that's right, that's right. from a nuclear explosion nearby mixes his molecules with the sand of the beach. Yeah. That's not that's even crazier than bit by a radioactive spider. That's even yeah. crazier than than what electro electro honestly maybe electro wins. I don't know who wins because electro I think is just holding on to electrical cables when he's struck by lightning Something and the combination like of yeah. being of just being next to or holding on to electrical wires like a, the city's electrical grid at the same time lightning strikes turns him into a living battery that maybe right. that's the worst i don't know it, they're I, both ridiculous well i loved how they kind of called attention to it in spider-man no way home too it's yeah like, i think well, that's I why fell, i was thinking of them the same like, oh i fell in, i fell into a vat of eels well i fell into a super collider he's like ah you gotta be careful where you fall, you know, just yeah, yeah. Just so and silly. I think, I think one of them says to the other one, were the accidents? Or or am I swapping that from uh, Justice League? From the Justice League film, maybe. Because um uh, uh Cyborg and, 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 and Flash have a moment in the in the theatrical I, Justice League film they, I, where, well, they, where they realize they're both accidents. It's it's similar, but yeah, but yeah, I think yeah, they, yeah, they have similar yeah. lines in those. I forget exactly what he says in Justice League. Um something like we were cosmic mistakes or something like that i don't remember uh it's been a while since i've had four hours for you to watch this mm. uh, snyder cut but uh <laughs> i uh, i am one of the few humans who really really adores the theatrical cut of justice <laughs> so i've I, seen it like five times or something i don't i don't hate it um yeah it's, yeah i just uh it's not it's not it's not great it, it does it it just <laughs> does feel like two different people worked on it and yeah. it was rushed into theaters, which is unfortunate because that should have been it should have been bigger than the Avengers. But that's a yeah. whole other that's a whole other right. conversation yeah. I've had on like seven different podcasts already. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, but John, you know, th- crazy is, science. Yeah, it's it's so it's something else. <laughs> but uh, John, this has been an absolute blast uh, getting to go over this uh, this uh, really awesome story with you, and I'm glad you suggested it to me. I. Don't think it's, I would have found it's it. It's pretty way. wonderful, right? It's it, yeah. it, it it it. I think in, from what I've read, because I haven't read everything, yeah. but of what I've read a lot of Spider-Man comics, and I mm-hmm. think it's the best Spider-Man story that nobody talks about. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, yeah. It's 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 the it's like the and it might be in the top three like quintessential Spider-Man stories. Period. To me, mm-hmm. you know, in the sense that it's not the best, but quintessential. Like it really sums up his essence yeah. because of the way. Um, he makes a mistake. Classic Peter Parker. He makes a mistake, and right. then things go wrong. Okay, classic Peter Parker. He, things go wrong because he made a mistake. That's lots of stories. But then that way the mistakes ramifications bounce off of each other, so mm-hmm. that like <laughs> Flash has the notes that he needs to yeah. make the new polymer to fix Sandman, and Sandman's um threatening uh. T- um, well, Liz is left. Oh, the Spider-Man and the Peter Parker life collide. Yeah, in a way where it's still separate. Where there's there's not even a secret identity thing. It's not even like oh no, people are going to learn I'm Spider-Man. But the two parts of his life end up screwing each other up because of one small mistake he makes in one moment of like wanting to get something solved faster. And I think that by having there be multiple ramifications that affect each other back and forth across the Spider-Man and Peter, you know, not just not just Norman is the father. The Green Goblin is really Norman Osborn, the father of my best friend. Oh no. And but that's sort of it's great, but that's like just one connection. Right, and right. what Joe Kelly succeeds in doing is making like three or four 
right? Yeah. Where they, they bounce off each other, and one mistake has affected Peter Parker and Spider Man's life in terrible ways. I uh, just, it, I think it's great. It, it's, uh, it definitely, is, you know, in the hands of a lesser storyteller, I feel like it, at some point we'd be reading this and going, okay, that's a little much, oh, don't yeah. you think? But yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it never felt that way to me. I felt like reading this, I was like, like, oh, it's there's this escalation that is that's what's keeping me on the edge of my seat. Going, well, yeah. is he going to get the notes back? Like, is he, you know, is he going to have to fight Flash on the bridge? You know, like who is he going to take to prom? And if he succeeds <laughs> in getting the notes and succeeds in getting someone, if he takes one, if he takes Liz Allen to prom, Flash is going to get beat even harder tonight. If right. if he turns Flash uh, Liz down somehow, he's hurting Liz's feelings. He needs the notes from Flash. Yeah. I, yeah, I could go on because it's ridiculously complicated, as you said, right. but, but he pulls it off. It's yeah. a very simple plot, technically. The basic plot is, is super simple, and yeah. the insane ramifications hit each other. Yeah, I feel like it's. I feel like a lot more people should read it. It has such a great summary of what makes him special as a character. I, I totally agree. It's that, that idea of Peter, you know, he when Peter ignores his... When Flash ignores his responsibilities... The worst thing that happens is maybe his, you know, he can avoid his dad that night or something, you know, or, you know, when Betty ignores her responsibilities, she gets in trouble at work. But when Peter ignores his responsibilities, then people's lives are in danger. And, and that's, you know, so interesting, so compelling. And, and, and it makes us feel for the character. I, I feel bad for Peter so many times reading these books going, Man, this guy can't catch a break, can he? You know. Yeah, big time. So, uh, th- ah, so th- yeah, this has been so wonderful. Oh, this this has been a blast, man. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. Um, uh, one one last question here, um, or two two more questions. Uh, one awesome. is, uh, what is your local comic book store that we can give a uh, shout out to? Oh wow, that's a good question because I <laughs> I owned one for several years and. Although we're not a physical retail location, I'm sort of my own store. <laughs> so I guess look up Carmine Street Comics. Um, or we the website still I haven't completely tweaked as much as I should. It still looks like a brick and mortar store, and we're not a brick and mortar store anymore. But you can you can find all the info there. So you know my local comic book store for the past. Uh, almost decade now has been uh, so local that i was i was in it seven days a week it was uh, <laughs> seven feet away from me level of local <laughs> um that's awesome uh and if uh, people are looking for you out there if they're uh, you know swinging through the interwebs you know thwip thwip where can they uh, where can they find you <laughs> um I'm, I'm kind of all over the place i do some um oh, i have a blog and i'm on maybe the smoothest is twitter find me on twitter just at john gorga it's uh j-o-n-g-o-r-g-a but you can also google me because i'm really i pop up pretty quick because of the bits of writing and owning a store for a decade uh and i'm on like every media and i've got some writing in little bits all over the place okay awesome and editing stuff will pop up because i i wear many hats a retailer writer editor once upon a time comics journalist i've got a for the first time i'll be in an anthology uh early next year of, of comics oh, so nice. finally we'll have something debut that's the comic that i wrote oh well congratulations on that thank um, you sir i'm very excited for that yeah for sure 
That's um, 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 Wayward Raven Media is the publisher. Okay. And the title of the anthology is, wait for this, We Suck at Comics. My, in, <laughs> my in-print debut as a comic book writer will have in giant letters, We Suck at Comics at the top, but it's perfect. <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, it says everything right there, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, uh, as for me, you can find me on Twitter at Spider-Man Books. You can email me, SpiderManBookClub at gmail.com. Um, you know, write a, you know, write a, if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, write a review, uh, subscribe, you know, get the, get the word out there. Tell people that uh, Spider-Man is, uh, is cool, as if people <laughs> didn't know that, I guess. Um, and that JJ is cool, and that this podcast is cool. There, there we go. Well, I didn't say it, so thank you for saying that. <laughs> uh, so uh, thanks again, John, for being here. And uh, that was all a you, blast. All you thank folks, thank you out, so much for having me. Yeah, anytime, anytime. Um, and as for you folks out there, we'll uh, we'll catch you next time, webheads. Excelsior. <laughs>